Praise God. All right, turn to our master text that we're going to be covering today in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read that in a minute. I want to give you a chance to turn there. And uh, while you're turning there, I, I want to just say by way of introduction that it seems like that God has had this church on a theme lately. You know, the ladies have been studying uh, a series in, in uh, their small group on Thursday nights, uh, The Bait of Satan, which is uh, all about how we need to recognize how Satan uses offense to divide and conquer us and get us out of the will of God. Now, uh, I've taught on offense and unforgiveness also myself these last uh, couple of weeks prior to now, and today I'm going to put an exclamation mark on that by uh, addressing division within the church in this teaching that I'm calling United We Stand and Divided We Fall. So if you're at Ephesians 4, our master text, go ahead and stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's Word. This is a just a really short master text this morning, verses 11 through 13. I'm reading from the older NIV. You read from whatever version you have. It says, It was he, referring to Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until... We all reach unity. Somebody say unity with me. We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Say mature with me. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. One of the things that happened recently that helped to inspire this message today was something that I saw on Facebook. Not Facebook, YouTube. I get my social media mixed up sometimes. Something that uh, I saw on YouTube that really grieved me. It was a video by an evangelist who I really respect. But in this video, he spent the first couple of minutes just ripping Christians of a certain doctrinal persuasion. And my heart just sank because uh, this man played right into Satan's hands to divide and conquer. And if you're on YouTube very much, you, you're, you probably noticed how it's just filled with so-called Christian people doing the same sort of thing. There's so much hurtful finger pointing and bashing of God's people by God's people that it just makes me want to weep sometimes. A watching world must sit back and just mock us. Now, that's not to say that there's not all-out apostasy that might need to be addressed from time to time. I'm not dismissing that. That might be necessary from time to time. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about Christians taking issue with one another over doctrinal issues that are not even central to the message of the cross and doing like the media does, and taking a few statements out of context that someone said, and then putting that out there on the, the internet and smearing their name with it. And folks, I just want to just not pull any punches with you this morning. That's evil. That's evil. We ought not to be doing that to one another. That's playing right into the devil's hands. So I want to talk about, once again, the problem of division in the body of Christ. 
Uh, I'm going to reference here 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 18. You know, the, the, the New Testament talks about unity all throughout the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul here, writing to the Corinthians, says this, In the following instructions, I have no praise to offer, because your gatherings do more harm than good. First of all, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. There are divisions among you. And Paul was addressing that head on. It's the first thing that he mentioned in this discourse. So I want to tell you that, that while disagreeing on peripheral issues, not the centrality of our faith, but the doctrinal issues that are way out here in the periphery, while we can disagree on some of those, if we can still agree on the centrality of our faith that Jesus is the Son of God, died for our sins, raised on the third day, and is the only way to reconciliation with the Father, then, ladies and gentlemen, we're still brethren. Amen. Thus, we need to be heeding the instructions of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 3. He said to make every effort. See, there's effort here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. See, the fact that Christians divide themselves into camps over uh, issues that are not even central to our faith is sad evidence that we've not yet reached full maturity in Christ, full stature in Christ, nor the unity in the faith described in Ephesians 4 and many other places in the Bible, such as this next one, which is 1 Corinthians 1.10. Here again, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree together so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be united in mind and conviction. That you may be united in mind and conviction. Here's another one. This is a little bit longer. Somebody told me last week that the, the font on some of my slides is a little bit small, so I hope that's not too small for you. But uh, um, I'm trying to pay more attention to that. But I'll just read through this in case you can't see it from where you're sitting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready, he says. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? So, in essence, Paul is saying, you got to get this right here. Paul was saying this, don't assume that you're mature when you divide yourself into these little camps. See, when you do that, you show actually that you're very immature. And according to what Paul is saying here, not just immature, but in fact, worldly. 
Now, folks, we usually attribute that term worldly to sexual immorality or extortion or theft or lying. or uh, There's a number of things that we kind of put under that umbrella of worldly. But according to the Apostle Paul, and those things are worldly, by the way, but according to the Apostle Paul, when we in the church divide ourselves into these little camps, that's not only very immature, that's worldly. Are you tracking with me? Okay. That's the way the world acts. The church shouldn't be acting like that. See, unity in the church is very important to God. Very important to God. In Romans 14.1, you ought to read that entire chapter, by the way. That could be your homework assignment. Read the entire chapter of 14, uh, Romans 14.1 and, and at least half of uh, uh, Romans 15. We'll read some of that here in a moment. But I'm going to start out with uh, verse 1 of Romans 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgments on his opinion. Okay, so we met, must accept one another without judgment. What's the context? What's he talking about? Well, Paul uh, is addressing in this discourse factions in the church between people who were observing various food restrictions versus those who believed that it was okay to eat anything and everything as well as those who observed various holy days versus those who believed that every day was the same before the Lord. And what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 14 is that uh, the, the people in these groups that he mentions are doing what they do out of their own personal conviction to please the Lord. That's why he was saying, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on his opinions. Now, perhaps a position does indeed lack knowledge in some cases, and Paul is implying that with his discourse, but that's beside the point, according to what he wrote in Romans 14. See, if our main goal isn't the unity of the saints, then we've greatly erred. I want to say that again. If our main goal isn't the unity of the saints, we have greatly erred. So let's look at more of Paul's instructions from Romans chapter 14. We'll take a few excerpts out of Romans 14. Let's begin with verses uh, 3 and 4. To the one who eats everything must not belittle the one who does not. The one who eats everything must not belittle the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Ouch. To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, that was a pretty poignant little statement there, wasn't it? But Paul doesn't stop there, as if to drive home his point with jackhammer-like force and repetition, he continues. So let's read a few more excerpts out of Romans 14. Let's jump down to verse 10. Why then do you judge your brother, or why do you belittle your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of you will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop judging one another. And then that 
actually, verse 13 there, actually ends Romans 14. So that's the end of the chapter. So at this point, we might be tempted to sit back and breathe a sigh of relief that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is done pointing out our arrogant judgments of one another. But not so fast. Paul hasn't laid down his jackhammer just yet. Uh, His forceful instructions continue on into the next chapter in Romans 15. Actually, let me read verse 19 first. Actually, this is the, the end of Romans 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what leads to peace and mutual edification. But again, Paul hasn't laid down his jackhammer just yet. This goes right on into the next chapter in Romans 15. So let's read some of that together. Verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the shortcomings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. Let's continue. Verse 5, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you harmony with one another in Christ Jesus, so that with one mind and voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring glory to God. Now, folks, at the end of the day, therefore, it's not even about who speaks in tongues and who doesn't, for example, who prophesies and who doesn't. See, Jesus prayed in John 17 that his followers would be one just as the Father and Son are one. As a matter of fact, if you read that chapter, John 17, in Jesus' prayer, you notice that Jesus mentioned that unity among his followers five times. Five times. Unity is very important to Jesus. So regardless of your position on these side issues, even if you know you're right, if you're not keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, then you're wrong. Should I say that again? Even if you know or you think that you're right on your position on some of these side issues, peripheral doctrinal issues, even if you think you're right or know that you're right, if you're not keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, then you're wrong. You play right into the devil's hands and he's having a good laugh at your expense, at our expense. See, one of Satan's most effective weapons against the church is the tactic of division. See, if we've given in to his divisive suggestions and distanced ourselves from our brethren on the grounds of peripheral doctrinal disagreements, then we have been seduced by a dark spirit of pride and division, and God cannot fully bless someone who operates that way because the Bible says in many places that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. Now, I should clarify something. I want to clarify that this unity that I'm talking about this morning is for those who truly are in the faith and who are endeavoring to please God to the best of their ability according to the Word of God. We should not feel obligated, however, 
to uh, align ourselves with people who purposefully twist, ignore, and manipulate the scriptures for their own sinful and selfish desires. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us to be very cautious about fellowshipping with such people. All right? But those are not, not the kind of people that I'm addressing in this teaching this morning. This teaching is intended for those who earnestly love God, love his word, and love the church. So folks, here's the message this morning. We'd better be careful how we treat God's church. Because God's church is his bride. And he has a special place of protection and honor for his bride. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3.17, the Apostle Paul wrote that if anyone destroys this temple, meaning the church, if anyone destroys this temple, his church, God will destroy that person because God's temple is sacred. And that's why, by the way, you also see in one place God addressing people who were going to court against one another. They had complaints against one another. They were going to court against each other. And Paul said, this is Andy terminology here, but this is kind of how I read into it. Are you crazy? That's basically what he was saying. What are you, what are you thinking? Why would you take... Uh, uh, your case against a judge who doesn't even love God and have him judge your case. Judge it among yourselves. Praise God. We have the spirit of God. We have his word. We ought to be able to judge these things among ourselves. And listen, Paul even said this. Wouldn't it be better for you to even be willing to be wronged, to be cheated for the sake of unity among the saints. That's what he was saying. Praise God. I know you love that one. So folks, we had better be careful how we talk about one another and act toward one another. If we're not building one another up, but rather tearing each other down, God's hand may very well be against us. That's a sober thought that you need to really contemplate right now because the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if we're not building one another up but rather tearing each other down, God's hand may very well be against us. Now, I want you to know that Folks, there is a satanic force in the world working very hard to keep people divided and angry at one another. So what are the things that threaten to divide us in the church then? I just want to give you a couple of thoughts here. The first one is political ideologies. And you know what? I saw this just exponentially get worse during the whole COVID thing. I mean, people drawing lines in the sand, people with injuries. We lost people here because we refused to social distance. We've never saw them again. Now, folks, if you want to social distance, that's completely up to you and God bless you. But if I choose not to do that, can we still be brethren? I've, heard, I've seen people get so angry and animated and have these horrendous arguments on Facebook and distance themselves from one another over the COVID vaccine, for Pete's sake. Folks, if you choose to get 
the vaccine, God bless you. I hope that works out for you. I personally choose not to get it. I hope that's okay with you. And I hope that we're still brethren. Okay? That's a personal choice. That there's not a thus saith the Lord about you getting a vaccine or not. So please don't be mad at me if I decide not to get it. And I'm trying to be a little bit more gracious than I was in the beginning. I got kind of like irritated about some of it. Because a lot of this stuff that was being promoted is completely and totally unscientific. As, and well, some of it's unbiblical. So I got a little worked up myself about some of that, but I'm trying to be more gracious toward people who choose to go ahead and get the vaccine for their own reasons, that choose to mask for their own reasons, that choose a social distance for their own reasons, and be more gracious to them. And I hope you'll be gracious to me if I choose not to do those things. Hallelujah. These are all personal choices, folks. So let's not get bent out of shape and mad at each other because we have differences of opinion on these. Come on. I mean, the body of Christ isn't supposed to operate that way. Praise the Lord. Let me give you another one. Uh, Doctrinal persuasions, okay? Like the Baptists, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, what have you. All these groups that kind of divide themselves into their own doctrinal little camps. Now, listen, I want to make a qualifying remark here. There are some denominations that have completely gone off the rails these days and are not even practicing biblical Christianity anymore. I'm going to give you permission about something. There is a time to walk away from certain groups, just as Martin Luther did with the early Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s because of their heresies. He walked away, and I'm so glad that he did because we have Protestantism today because of the work that, that he did. But that's not really what I'm talking about here when I speak of division within the true church of Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about is the the true family of God and division among ourselves because we may see a few things out on the periphery a little bit differently. I want you to know that that grieves the heart of God. And actually, it's the spirit of Antichrist. That whole divisive thing that's going on in the body of Christ over COVID stuff and denominational and doctrinal differences, that's Antichrist. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Let me give you another one here. Hurts and offenses. This is a big one. Man, I've seen this one as a minister over and over and over and over and over and over again. People getting mad at each other. People getting mad at the pastor. People getting hurt and offended at each other. And then decide to take off because they get offended one time. Folks, can I let you in on a, a little secret? It's not so much of a secret, but it's not something that people think about that often. Did you know that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people? And did you know that people are imperfect? And you know that people tend to make mistakes with one another sometimes? And you know that people are in process? Some of us are farther along in our walks with Christ than others. We need to just give each other grace. And for goodness sake, can we not have thicker skin than to just exit stage left when somebody ruffers our, our feathers and makes us mad, for goodness sake? Come on. 
What are you going to do if you get persecuted someday for Pete's sake? I mean, you're, you're not even prepared for persecution because you can't even handle the little interpersonal conflicts that happen in the church. How are you going to handle persecution? It's going to destroy you. So this is a training ground, folks. A training ground. Hallelujah. Are we getting somewhere this morning? So where hurts and offenses are concerned, we need to guard against this because hurts and offenses is a very effective tool for the enemy to come in and divide and conquer and hold you in the shackles of offense. And that's why I spent the last two teachings talking about forgiveness and getting rid of bitterness and what have you. All right. I want to talk for just a few minutes here about what's at stake. And you might write this down in your notes. What's at stake here is the credibility of the gospel. The credibility of the gospel is at stake here, folks. Let me give you a couple of scriptures along those lines. John 13, 35 uh, Jesus said this, by this, meaning love for one another, that you will know, uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He didn't say, by this, they will know that you're my disciples based upon your doctrinal perfection, your doctrinal, you know, how well you've studied the Bible, how many verses you can quote. You know, I like all that stuff. I think we all ought to strive toward doctrinal correction, doctrinal corrective, uh, being correct doctrinally is what I'm trying to say. I think we all should strive for that. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say that the world will know us by our doctrinal correction and how many verses we can quote and what have you. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what he said. That's what he said. See, the New Testament, folks, often connects the effectiveness of our witness to the world with the genuineness of our love one for another in the church. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. The New Testament often connects the effectiveness of our witness to the world with the genuineness of our love for one another in the church, and how well we handle our own interpersonal conflicts and disagreements. If they don't see something different about us, they have no reason to be compelled by our message. Let me give you another scripture. 1 Timothy 3.15, God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. See, the church is the pillar of the truth, because it's the outlet of God's truth out there into the world. God's word is the outlet of truth out there into the world. So the church, I should say, the church is the pillar of truth to the world. It's the outlet of God's truth to the world. But it's also, according to this passage right here in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is also God's household. And so for the church to be an effective pillar of truth, it needs to be a healthy family. It needs to be a healthy family. And in a family, you don't just walk away from your relatives because you have a conflict from time to time or you disagree about something. I hope you don't do that anyway. 
If you are in a family that, that does that sort of thing, that's called a dysfunctional family. If you just cut ties with family members because you have a conflict or you, you have disagreements, that's dysfunctional. And folks, in many ways, the church has been dysfunctional because we do that sort of thing so easily and so often. You see, the church being the church in all its biblical fullness it will, will best communicate God's ways to the world. The church being the church in all its biblical fullness is, it will best communicate God's ways to the world. So Jesus' command for us to love one another and walk in unity wasn't just some afterthought. It, it's the key part of his strategy to win a world that's watching us. Are you getting it? So when we break fellowship with one another over little doctrinal issues that are way out there on the periphery and not even central to the gospel, we undermine the gospel and weaken its effectiveness in the world. Are you awake this morning? Okay. Clicking with anybody? So I want to say that again. You know, when, when we break fellowship with one another over these peripheral doctrinal issues that are not even central to the gospel, central to our faith, we therefore undermine the gospel and weaken our witness in the world. Now, to clarify, I do want to clarify something. Um, some people mistakenly think that expressing the love of God in the world means that you have to accept every vile thing that someone does and just pat them on the head and say, oh, it's okay, Jesus loves you anyway. Okay? That's not the message of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus' message was one of repentance. Repentance. In fact, he said, unless you repent, you're going to perish. That's what he said. So it's not loving to not tell someone the truth and let them go to their destruction uninformed. As Christians, we must stand for truth. And that means that sometimes, yeah, we might get persecuted. That's okay. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute those who stand for his truth. And you know what? The persecution that we have in this country right now is people slandering you and calling you names. You know, the fact that I got up and spoke at the, uh, um, the library board meeting the other day, I was called a bigot and all I mean, a boo-hoo. Yeah. If that's the worst that it ever gets, what a wonderful life that this will be. No one's tying me to a post and whipping me. I'm not in prison. Okay, now it could come to that at some point, and if it does come to that, I'm willing to go to prison. I'll just have a, a brand new prison ministry. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God, like Paul did. And it was an effective one. But if they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute me and you once in a while. But getting back to my main point, you know, the unity that I'm speaking of here isn't unifying yourself with the world, quite the contrary. I'm talking specifically about unity within the church. You know, folks, the message of unity among the saints gives us some marching orders, doesn't it? I think that we've been given some marching orders this morning. I love this quote by Sam Alberry. Um, he says this, Jesus' words give us something to do. 
We might not have the best celebrities, the most attractive spokespeople, the most impressive resources, or the most acclaimed thinkers, but we should have the most wonderful relationships. Praise God. We should have the most wonderful relationships. So, I'm going to end with this right here. Our fellowship, one with another, is predicated on this alone. And I'm choosing here Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, the two verses of which most people know. Most people don't know verse 10, I find, but most people know verses 8 and 9. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so know that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance as our way of life. So that's the bullseye right there. That's the message of the cross right there. But there's one other one that I want to draw your attention to that I've, I've uh, taught you before. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, because this is what grace does for us. Grace doesn't just save you from the punishment that you deserve. And give you the favor and and mercy that you don't deserve. It it does do that. But grace does something else. Grace is an empowerer. And it says in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's it. That is the message of salvation right there. You tack on John 3.16 onto that, maybe Romans 10.9. I mean, that's the centrality of our message right there, that Jesus died for our sins, was raised on the third day, and is the only way to be reconciled with the Father. That is through grace that we've been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It's grace um, alone through faith. That's it. That's our message. That's the message of the, of the cross, the message of the gospel. If we can agree on that, on that bullseye, then these peripheral rings out here on that bullseye that you see on the screen, those should not cause us to break fellowship with one another. If you want to speak in tongues or you don't want to speak in tongues, prophesy or not, um, if you want to observe certain holy days or believe every day is the same, Etc., etc., that's completely up to you. Those things ought not cause us to break fellowship with one another. I could go on and on. There's many other examples of that. You know, I, I've been a pastor for almost 13 years now, and even before I was a pastor, I, I was in ministry for a long time in worship ministry in a different church. So I've been in ministry a long time now, and I've seen people break fellowship over the dumbest stuff. The dumbest stuff. And even some of the things that they really, some of their pet doctrinal persuasions, they get so, they take such ownership of that. It's like, if anybody disagrees with me on, the, on that, I, I just can't be in fellowship with those. That is so sad and sick. I'm just going to say it like it is. That's, that's a spirit of antichrist. We need to be avoiding that sort of thing. Praise God. Did you get any help this morning out of that? Praise God. Donna, would you, yeah, you want to say something, Donna? Yeah, come on up. I just want to say you're preaching to the choir this morning because these people are the most loving people ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I add to that, though? (laughs) 
<laughs> She's right about you all. But I've been doing this a long time now. And I've seen people come into this church and they go, I love this church. This church, God called me here. And the first time they get offended, they're gone. First time. I've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, people that I thought would never leave my side, who were admitted, that I, that I cultivated, I, I groomed them. I thought they'd never leave my side. First time they got offended, they're gone. It's like, really? Is that all of it? Is, 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 is that as thick as your skin is? Seriously? So while I do believe that we have a congregation that's loving, I love you all, and, and I have no reason to doubt that you're anything but what Donna said, but I've been around for a while now. I've, this isn't my first rodeo. So I know how this tends to go. And uh, so I believe the Holy Spirit inspired me to, to talk about that this morning because we, just, we need to be informed about this sort of thing, how, how, how just utterly immature and worldly that sort of thing is. It is. And I know that some of you in the congregation have been hurt by that sort of thing as well by others. Not just pastors that, that deal with that, but you all have dealt with that from time to time with people in your life as well. So I believe that God wanted to speak some comfort to some of you, but also some instruction to us as a church. Stay the course. Don't let Satan come in and divide and conquer through offense or disagreements. Don't let that happen. Recognize when that's happening. Uh, that's, not, that's not the spirit of Jesus. That's a satanic, antichrist spirit. That's what we need to understand. Praise God. Stand with me, if you will. Praise the Lord. You know, another thing that I want to say as we get ready to pray here is that sometimes people will come into this church who have done the sort of thing that I've talked about this morning to a previous pastor, a previous church, previous ministry, or people in their previous church, and they've left and come here because they're offended at the other place. And I know that that goes on too. Uh, and I just would ask you, just close your eyes for a minute. You know, I, I don't think when it, when it comes to that sort of thing, I mean, once people come here and they get plugged in, I don't think that it's necessarily the right thing to do to unscramble eggs and try to, you know, go, go back and get plugged back in necessarily. Um, but sometimes there is something to do in your own heart, and sometimes it's a good thing to go and be reconciled to the people that you were offended at or that, that hurt you. That's not always necessary. It depends on the situation. But just ask the Holy Spirit, as you've got your eyes closed right now, because the Holy Spirit wants to not just give you a, a teaching. He wants you to apply it. And it, the application begins with recognizing where we have blown it before and make a determination to repent, which means not, not doing that again. Endeavoring not to do that sort of thing again. So let's do like we did last week when we talked about bitterness and unforgiveness. And let's just think about, okay, Lord, um, have I done that sort of thing in the past with other churches, pastors, people in previous churches or ministries? Have I, 
Have I done that sort of thing? Have I allowed myself to be divided from my brethren over doctrinal disagreements or hurts and offenses? And if that's the case, you may need to go to someone and say, hey, you know what? Even if it's been years, now I've done this before. You know what? I'm, I'm sorry for the way I acted back then. I was immature back then. I've grown some since then. And I recognize the way that I behaved back then was, that wasn't godly. And would you forgive me? That might be necessary. Again, depending on the situation. Just let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. Is there a situation that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for, first of all? But is there a situation where you need to go make amends? Because remember, I said last week, Proverbs 14, 9, a fool mocks at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Praise God. And you know, you might just ask the Holy Spirit a general question right now. Maybe there's not something real specific like that that's coming to your mind. But maybe it's just, there's just a general, you know, here's what I've learned about, about sitting under a pastor's teaching because this has happened to me. The pastor will be talking about some topic completely different than what the Holy Spirit seems to drop into my heart. I mean, the pastor will say one thing about a different topic, that, but he'll, he'll drop something in my heart that's like totally unrelated, but something that I really need to deal with. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. And maybe right now the Holy Spirit wants to deal with you about something that's not even related to what we've been talking about this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to just stand there where you are and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do you want me to do with this teaching? What is it you want to say to me today? I want to say this one last thing and uh, then we're going to pray. You know, I want to acknowledge, folks, that every time there's a conflict in a church doesn't mean it's always the fault of the person in the congregation. Like if it's a pastor and, and someone in the congregation and there's, a, you know, there's something that happened there, I realize that pastors are human and pastors make mistakes too. And so maybe there was a, a hurt that was maybe you were violated somehow by a by a spiritual leader that really really wounded you and maybe you've had trouble getting past that maybe you've had trouble trusting leaders in the church again or maybe even trusting the lord because of what some leader that maybe really didn't do things right in your case and that's really affected your relationship with the lord Man, I, there are people out there like that, for sure. So I want to acknowledge that too. If there's somebody here this morning that that describes that you were violated somehow by a, by a spiritual leader and you've had a lot of trouble getting back on track spiritually, I want, to, I want to pray for you this morning. We're not going to take service time to do it, but I'm going to dismiss now and pray for a moment. But if anybody here needs prayer, you just need to get together with somebody and pray through just a really painful thing that's going on in your heart. And even if it doesn't have to do with a spiritual leader, maybe it, it could be a, 
I don't know, it could be a teacher or a coach or a parent or something like that, someone who violated you and, and, uh, and really, really hurt you and affected your relationship with the Lord. And you're finding, you're finding difficulty moving ahead in your relationship with the Lord right now because of what happened with that leader or parent or teacher or coach or whoever it was. Um, you know, that, that wasn't God's fault. And his heart grieves with those who grieve. And he wants to pick up the pieces and put you back together and help you to move on in health and fruitfulness in your family and and in the kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. If the prayer team could come up and just stand beside me now. I'm going to pray and dismiss the service, but our prayer team is going to be up here And if there's anybody at all, if you need prayer, if you need some personalized ministry, this is the time that we're going to do it after we dismiss the service. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.